0: Welcome to the Preaching Ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. It is our privilege to have with us for our Missions Conference this week, Dr. Bruce McAllister. Dr. McAllister is the Director of Ministry Relations for Gospel Fellowship Association Missions. Uh, he's involved in overseeing church planting and, see, and helping pastors. Uh, he spent almost 40 years as, uh, working with the ministerial class at Bob Jones University and has a, a compassion for pastors and a passion for church planting. And has been very active in, in helping missionaries as well. And we also have a personal relationship uh, dr. McAllister is my brother-in-law we are married to sisters so his wife Ellen and my wife Judy are sisters he told a little bit of that last night that uh, when I became interested in Judy and I realized if you you know if you get into a family it's not just the person you marry it's, it's bigger than that and so I started crashing their family dinners Uh, And getting to know him and his family and he wondered what's this guy doing there was method to my madness Uh, And I appreciate the friendship that we have. He is one of those that I have turned to for advice for counsel Uh, He's an encourager Uh, He has a, a passion to see the word go forth and yet a compassion for for those who are seeking to serve and so I know that your hearts will be encouraged as you open them to the Word of God as Dr. McAllister presents it uh, through our missions conference. Bruce, if you'd come at us.
1: I was going to try to get him to stand next to me for a few moments so I could just look down at him. and uh, But we'll not do that because that might embarrass him. But uh, he is not only a brother-in-law, but he is a close friend, one of my closest friends, ministry friends, and, of course, family friends, and with great respect for him and for Judy and for their entire family as servants of the Lord. It's a joy to be back here again. And uh, I was here a few months ago. I think it was back in February and had the privilege to open God's Word with you then. And I uh, enjoyed yesterday very much. Uh, yesterday, this church, if you didn't quite catch it, served three big meals. And if you were from the South, like where I'm from, the the people in the country would say, you're one of the most eatingest churches that I've ever been in. So uh, congratulations. Maybe today will be a day of prayer and fasting, or at least lighter uh, consuming. If you were part of those events yesterday, they sure were wonderful Uh, Times, the two that I was at, and heard good things about the ladies' luncheon, and so uh, just great to to be in a place like this. I shared last night at the uh, college banquet that there are very few churches in America like your church, Uh, multifaceted, uh, very interested in ministry on many fronts, a long and uh, stable and growing history and just uh, touching uh, so many people. Very few uh, churches have a college and seminary literally sending out through its own mission agency, International Baptist Missions, uh, people around the world. And I was moved also, Brother Ken, by the, uh, the flag parade this morning, and I, had to, I just had to pause. Uh, when, I think about, when I think about the world that we're living in, In the times in which we're living and what these flags representing just a portion of the nations of the world a world approaching 8 billion people in population you know a million is a thousand thousand a billion is a thousand million a million dollars is an 8-inch stack of $1,000 bills a billion Is a stack of $1,000 bills 666 feet high or 111 feet higher than the Washington Monument times eight? If every soul was worth $1,000 and it certainly is in every soul is infinitely of infinite value. When you stop and pause and think how, how many of those people, how many of those people ever open a Bible in their own language? How many of those people ever sing a Christian song like we know hundreds of from our hymnal? How many of them have ever heard an actual clear presentation of the gospel from a compassionate person or preacher pleading with them to put their faith in Christ? These are things we need to ponder. Ponder often, but ponder certainly in a missions emphasis week like this. Before I begin my The heart of my message this morning, I would just like to reflect for a moment upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'll be going to Romans 12 if you'd like to turn in your Bibles there. The early verses, actually the latter verses of Romans 11. But let's think about the gospel for a moment. For that is actually the centerpiece of the book of Romans. In the early verses of chapter one, Paul declares that uh, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, resurrected from the dead with power. Paul says in in, in Romans 1 16, he said, "I, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In other words, to every person the gospel is available, whether Jew or Gentile, and that theme runs throughout the book of Romans, as many of you know. And so Paul was not ashamed to declare the message of the good news that Jesus saves. The gospel answers a profound question. The gospel, particularly the gospel as presented in the book of Romans, answers the question, how can an infinitely holy and righteous God allow people like ourselves who are totally sinful to be thoroughly right with himself right with God by a perfectly just means how can an infinitely holy God allow totally sinful people to be thoroughly right with himself by a perfectly just means That almost sounds like a dilemma. It was no dilemma for God, for it was his plan from the beginning. But the book of Romans makes it very clear that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That there is none righteous, no, not one. That all of us are under the penalty of our sin for the wages of sin is death. Yes, physical death will get us all. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment, the Bible says. But it's not merely physical death. Actually, a person can be alive physically, yet be spiritually dead. Ephesians speaks of people who do not know Christ as being dead, being dead in trespasses and sin, and without their own ability to save themselves. The Bible speaks of a horrible thing called the second death. Revelation chapter 20 speaks of the great white throne judgment. When the dead, small and great, will stand before God and the books will be opened and another book will be opened, which is the book of life. Our deeds are found, our sinful deeds are found in the the books, the recording. People somehow think they're going to offset their sin by doing things that are good. And somehow in in that day, they hope there's more good than bad there. That's not actually how it works. You cannot do enough good to offset the bad that you've done. The bad that we've done has to be forgiven. Oftentimes, actually, the good that we think we've done actually in God's sight is bad. Our righteousness is the Bible says in the Old Testament, is, is filthy rags. Self-righteousness, the most repugnant of all sins, as it were. Thinking we're good when we're not good. The dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books are open, and another book is open, the book of life. And this is a book that records the name of those names of those who have truly been saved. And it says that those that were standing there, their names were not found in the book of life. It appears to me that actually anyone standing at the great white throne judgment is condemned. And it says that the dead, small and great are there. doesn't matter your status in life. There's a level playing field at the great white throne judgment. God is actually no respecter of persons. And it says that death... And hell were cast into the lake of fire. And there forever, people who do not know Jesus Christ as Savior will experience the anguish and pain of the unending caverns of roaring fire. The Bible tells us this really wonderful news. That he, Christ, Christ, who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of god in him jesus christ came to earth god's sinless son virgin born lived a perfect life never one thought one word one action the bible says that there was no guile found in his mouth he was tempted like as we are yet without sin He was perfect. He was righteous. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He gave himself as a sacrificial sin offering, fulfilling the Old Testament foreshadowings of the the sacrificial system of the tabernacle and temple system. And there on Calvary's cross, the Son of God voluntarily gave up his life and shed his blood that the full penalty of our sin would be finally paid once and for all and that if we then would turn from our sin to the savior place our full faith and confidence in him he would declare us right in his sight and would attribute to us the very righteousness of his son he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of god in him that's 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 a summary it's brief it's actually theologically rich but but let me simplify it when the philippian jailer was awestruck at paul and silas staying in the prison after the earthquake had happened in act 16 they simply said he said what can i do to be saved and paul said believe on the lord jesus christ and you will be saved in your house. You know, salvation is rich and it's full, and the book of Romans is incredible about all of its complexities, but actually salvation is also very simple. A child can come to Christ. An uneducated person can come to Christ. An educated person can cut through the fog of their intellectualism and put simple faith in Christ. Isn't it wonderful that God can save a child and an adult? He saves them by the same method through the same gospel. So put your faith in Christ. This is a missions conference. It's about the gospel. And most people in this world have never heard what I just said. And that's one reason that we need to be serious about a missions conference like this. Come out. Come to hear God's word. Meet these wonderful missionaries that are present here. Give generously to their forward progress of the gospel. Get behind them, pray for them, and see what God does both uh, through their lives and through your lives as you work together. Today, my topic is God's work is teamwork. God's work is teamwork. And if I were to summarize it down into one word, I would Put it this way join join that is get on the team learn your spot on the team engage in teamwork and watch the gospel go forward the message this morning I don't mean to be irreverent okay you've heard how I feel about the gospel I I don't want this message to come on merely like a pep talk. Okay, you understand? I believe in expository preaching. I'll be preaching enough this week. I think you'll catch that I'm I'm committed to preaching the text of the Bible. But sometimes, especially in a setting where you've got a uh, you've got a certain theme that you're trying to accomplish in a series of messages, then this message this morning is is actually going to draw from several different passages of Scripture. It's not going to go down deep. It's going to Stay right where we live. I'm actually a practical Bible preacher. I know you wish I'd hurry up and start start preaching. I'm getting there, I'm getting there, okay? I know, I know how it is to listen to somebody and they have an introduction that's too long. But I'm just gonna, just wanna get you, you know, just help you understand my heart. And actually Paul at the end of chapter 11 and verse 32, having been through the complexities and glories of the gospel says this in 11 Thirty-three. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord and who hath been his counselor or who hath first given to him and it shall be recompensed unto him again for of him and through him. And to him are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. I want us just to get this point. The gospel centers upon God. Paul, even writing under inspiration, is amazed at God and the depth of the riches of the knowledge and wisdom of God. God is the source of all things, verse 36. He is the means of all things by which all things are accomplished. And He is the end of all things. While we have human responsibility, we need to realize that gospel ministry, missions ministry, is God sourced, it is God carried. And it ends with the glory of God. The gospel and missions are all about God. Now God uses people. So he says in 12.1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace that is given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given unto us, whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the portion of faith, or ministry let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, or he that giveth let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. God's work is teamwork. What's really going on here in the passage more in depth is that the language of Romans 12, 1 and 2 is actually picking up on the language of the tabernacle and temple worship system. In the Old Testament, there was a prescribed group of people who served the Lord. And those were the priests and the Levites. And so you had to kind of be in that group to really, to really serve the Lord, officially at least, in the, the tabernacle and eventually in the temple worship system. I mean, you, you dare not be anointed with the holy anointing oil unless you were going to be a priest, Exodus 30 would tell it but when you come to the new testament when you come to the glorious days of the gospel with the gospel going to both jews and gentiles the tabernacle and temple systems have been fulfilled their passe they were fine for their time but now christ has fulfilled all of those types and foreshadowings and so actually what paul is saying here is that we are all priests before god we all have the privilege to present not a dead animal But to present our bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is our, says reasonable service in our King James. It has to do with logikos or logikon, which is that which is rational, that which is spiritual, that which makes sense. And then the word service or latreia, which is worship, which is your spiritual worship. When you give yourself to God, you are getting what it means to truly worship God and you present your body to Him. Not only so, but you resist being conformed to this world. The world, one paraphrase says, wants to, wants to press you into its mold. The world wants us to be conformed not merely in external appearance, but the world wants us to, to think like the world thinks and buy into its ungodly values. And Paul says, no, live a life distinctly different, separated from the world. And he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We have the We have the Word of God, which is the agent of our transformation in the hands of the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit. And he transforms the way we think so that we may prove, to prove by testing what is the good and acceptable and perfect, that is, the will of God. And by the way, God has a will, a plan, a purpose for the life of every believer. And so in verse 3, he appeals to us to be humble as we approach what it is God wants us to do. Not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, but to think soberly, accurately, reflectively. What is it that God wants me to do? The analogy here is, is, a, is a body. A body. don't need to get into over much on the anatomy this morning, but I'm sure most everybody here has had a little bit of introduction to an anatomy course, and what a marvelous thing God has put together in these human bodies with the things that overtly are working together, and then those things which most of which we we don't even think about, because it's just all clicking, and if you're in good health, it's clicking. If you're in bad health, it's not clicking. It's hard, but he says that we're members one of another. Verse 4, as we have many members in one body and all members have not the same office. In other words, there's diversity. He's going to describe that more in depth. So we being many are one body in Christ and every one members of another. That means however we, whatever gift or gifts we may have, whatever role in the body we may have, we got to remember that we we should use those gifts only in a way that contributes to the harmony and unity and accomplishing the purpose that God has in the spread of the gospel, the building out the body of Christ. And then he lifts those gifts. I'm going to do more with that part tonight. There's seven motivational gifts mentioned in verses six through eight. I'll do a little bit more with that tonight as we talk a little different aspect of this. But what I'm saying here this morning, our, our, our cultural is, would probably use the expression team, okay? Teamwork. You probably have a favorite sport or two, if you're into sports at all. Uh, my, my sport that I love to play more than anything else was basketball. I played a little bit of baseball when I was a little boy. And um, I, what I did when I was a boy, I, made, I generally speaking, I made good teams, and then I got to watch the game from a really nice place on the bench. That's, that's how it worked out for me. So I would be on a good team for three years and watch for two years and then play for the third year uh, most of the time. There were so many little baby boomers back in the 1960s, you know. I can remember they had the minor A team, the baseball minor B. And then they took all the leftovers and turned them into three more teams. And my first team was the Crackers, okay, the Crackers. We had little t-shirts that had been dyed, gray or blue. And that, that's, you know, they, we were the leftovers. And I was often a leftover. When I was in junior high, I played on a basketball team, uh, 8th grade, Davis Hills Junior High School. Our coach was Coach Paul Carroll, he was also our Sunday school teacher. We had 1,500 baby boomers in Davis Hills Junior High School. We had 20 boys on the 8th grade basketball team. And where I sat on the bench, uh, on a fair day, you you could see the coach, okay, on a fair day. And if the team was 30 points ahead and 30 seconds left, McAllister, come on in. You can't do us any harm, all right? That's how it worked for me. And you know, those experiences, the next year in ninth grade, kind of the same thing. I was either number 11 or number 12 on a 12-man basketball team. I found it all prepared me for my life's work because when I got to Bob Jones University and for 24 years I sat on the platform in chapel and once or twice a year, Dr. Bob would say, come on, Mac, you can preach now, okay? You can come off the bench. And so that, that's, that's what I, I got prepared for that, playing sports. Maybe your sport's football. Maybe your sport is, I heard, I heard somebody named Nathan or somebody by that name say something about cricket last night, talking to Roger at the banquet. I'm like, I have no clue what you're talking about. We fished with crickets. Y'all play with crickets. I don't know, but uh, there's different ways to look at this thing of sports. Maybe your thing is snow skiing or water skiing or track and field or weightlifting or martial arts or ping pong or maybe your favorite sport is cornhole. That's kind of getting to be my favorite sport actually. My, I beat my my thirty-seven-year-old, uh, now thirty-eight-year-old uh, son-in-law in, in a game of cornhole recently. Twice in the game, my. My little uh, bag was hanging over the hole and I hit it in with my bag and I got six points twice in one game. That was pretty cool. If you don't know what that means, that's okay, okay? (laughs) Never thought I would say something like that publicly, actually. (laughs) What makes for a good team, a great team, a championship team? Good coaching, unity, Strategy, a game plan, discipline, practice, sacrifice, skill, strength, resilience, and teamwork. The Bible is very clear that God's work is teamwork. We're looking at it here in this passage lightly this morning. You may not find the word team in the Bible, but it's actually everywhere in the New Testament. God's word takes a team effort, that's the way He planned it. Now, God does not need us to do anything but he has devised his work in such a way that he uses people and he wants to use every last one of us as part of his gospel, his international gospel team. God gives the gifts for ministry, he gives grace for ministry, and he gets all the glory for ministry. God is most glorified when believers work well together in their endeavors, when they play their spot on the team, when they encourage others on the team. And in the end, the game is won and God is glorified. I remember playing college ball. This was high-level, I think, intramural college ball. And I happened to play on a team, it was it was a good team. And um people wanted to be on our basketball team. They wanted to join our, we called it society, kind of like a Christian fraternity, okay, but without the frat house and all that. And so I remember there was a new freshman. His name was Alan Cole. And he wanted to be on our team. And he just wanted to be on the team, but he wanted to start as a freshman. A friend of mine, Sandy McCormick and I took Alan over to the BJ gym and we kind of worked out with him a little bit. And so when we got done, you know, shooting baskets and whatever with him he 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 kind of was like can I start you know he was like he was like that if i recall and we kind of took him aside and gave him a little bit of romans 12:3 i don't think we used the verse but we said like down boy you know it'll be okay but you know alan joined our society and he got on our basketball team and one of my most precious memories in college, playing basketball, is to be out on the court playing. And Alan Cole was leaping off the bench, cheering on the starters. Alan Cole is a Bible teacher at Faith Baptist Bible College in Ankeny, Iowa, where he served for years. And I'll see him along the way, and I'm sure he's an earned doctorate, and he's very smart, hell a whole lot smarter than I am. But to me, it was Alan Cole, the college freshman, who wanted others to succeed and he wanted to play a spot on the team of encouraging others. Are you with me? God's work is teamwork and it takes all types and sometimes we have to wait our turn to play. I see this concept of teamwork being worked out because Jesus Christ himself in his earthly ministry worked through a team of disciples. Matthew 10, when he called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. And it goes on to name those 12 apostles. Wouldn't you have loved to play on Christ? Earthly team. Wouldn't that have been something? You know, Paul, the great apostle Paul, the great missionary, the apostle Paul, worked primarily through teams of disciples. D. Edmund Hebert, I believe, says in his book, Paul in Paul's shadow, a book about the personalities of the New Testament says that there were 125 named individuals surrounding the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Now, not all were his friends, but most of them were. You can find a long list just in Romans 16 alone. So threaded through the inspired letters of Paul are the names of people who advanced the gospel cause. Let me list a few of them. Apollos, mighty in Scripture, and eloquent Aquila and Priscilla who had ministry to even Apollos this model serving couple who risked their lives for the gospel's sake these helpers of Paul a church planning couple there was Barnabas the encourager who said to the Jerusalem leaders when at first they weren't sure if they could trust Paul he said in essence to the Jerusalem people he said hey he's okay he got saved. He's on our team. It was Barnabas who went to Tarsus and Cilicia and recruited Saul of Tarsus, converted, to come and be be there with the church at Antioch, from which would go out the first three missionary journeys recorded in the book of Acts, this encourager. There was Luke whom God used to write more of the New Testament than any other author. The beloved physician, the companion of Paul. There was Silas, his cellmate in Philippi, his companion on missionary journeys. They sung a duet one night, real late one night. Probably kept everybody up there at midnight singing, you know. I wonder what they sang that night, you know. "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus.'" about what a fellowship you think they might have sang what a fellowship maybe they sang marvelous grace of our loving Lord maybe they sang a stanza of amazing grace whatever it was that Philippian jailer made like a beat of those guys and said how can I have what you have there was Timothy whose name means honoring God the faithful protege of Paul He said, I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. There was Titus, the organizer of the church in Crete, a frequent helper to Paul. There was Epaphras, or Epaphras if you prefer, the prayer warrior, who who always labored fervently for you in your prayers that you might stand fast. Perfect and complete in all the will of God. There was the messenger Epaphroditus who was sick, nigh unto death, Philippians 2 tells us. There was Lydia, apparently a lady of wealth. I love what it says of Lydia in Acts 16, the second missionary journey. It says, This is so beautiful. I hope hope God does this for you if you don't know the Lord this morning. It says of Lydia, whose heart the Lord opened. Isn't that beautiful? If you don't know Christ this morning, what needs to take place is the understanding of the gospel and God opens your heart. And I'll tell you, when God opens your heart, respond and trust in Christ. That's what Lydia did. And when God opened her heart, she opened her home to the missionaries and extended a gracious hospitality to them. Was a ref- Onesiphorus was a refresher of Paul in prison prison, Paul said, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain, 2 Timothy chapter 1. There was Phoebe, the church servant, along with very many in Romans 16. There was Stephanus, who was addicted to the ministry. There was Tychicus, who was a beloved brother, faithful minister. Let 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 me ask it this way. If your name were in the New Testament, What would God say about you? What would be the little phrase that would be true of your life? And by the way, at the end of your life, all that matters is what God knows about you and says about you. That's all that matters. We appreciate people being kind to us, don't we? We appreciate people expressing gratitude, sure. Paul did a lot of that. But what matters is one day at the judgment seat of Christ, if we stand there and he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Paul worked primarily through groups of teams. And then God established churches with a multiplicity of gifts, such as pastor, evangelist, teachers, exhorters, rulers or administrative type people, people who oversee, people who have the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, a gift discerning of spirits, a gift of helps, a gift of showing mercy, a gift of giving, a gift of faith. We'll say more about spiritual gifts tonight. But I hope you know reasonably well what God has best gifted you to do. Now, just because God's given you a gift and a strength in a certain area does not mean we neglect other areas of responsibility. For example, everyone should give, but some people have an, an unusual ability to give. We should all exhort one another daily, lest we be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, but there are certain people that are just especially gifted at encouragement and exhortation. We all, in a sense, ought to be teaching our children and our family, male and female, mom and dad, we're all a part of that teaching ministry, but some people just have this knack for making clear what's not necessarily absolutely clear. We have responsibility broadly, but we have gifts specifically. And then as being on the team, we have some relational responsibilities. Every last one of us has some relational responsibilities. I, I, I like your church's theme. Ministers, every member, That's that's really good. And I was looking at your website and I was studying your values and I noticed high in the list is, maybe the lead word is relationships. Biblical ministry, New Testament ministry, local church ministry, international ministry is highly, highly meant to be relational. That's why I think Romans... 9 through the end of the chapter talks about how to get along with one another. I read Romans 12 probably five days a week, just like I call it breakfast reading. Kind of gets my marching orders. I already have my devotions in prayer time normally, and I'll open Romans 12 while I'm eating my bowl of cereal. Because it just shoots straight. It says, now here's what you need to do. The one another say to love one another. The biggest one, the most frequently noted one another relational responsibility is to love one another. That sounds like teamwork to me. To judge not one another, to prefer one another, to receive one another, to admonish one another, to greet, salute if you prefer, kiss, it's also there, um, to serve one another to not devour one another, to not provoke one another, to not envy one another, but rather to bear one another's burdens and to forbear one another and to forgive one another and to comfort one another, to edify one another, to exhort one another, and to consider one another and to certainly pray for one another. Do you follow me this morning? I'm just simply saying... God's work is teamwork. And I'm saying to you, join. M- maybe maybe for a few people here that are considering membership and you, you're going, this is my kind of church. In the will and plan of God, through due process, I would encourage you to join. But I'm really not just talking about joining a church. I'm talking about joining actively. You may be already a member, but you've become a little disengaged. Maybe along with that has been a little critical spirit. Maybe not, maybe so. It's easy when you're not playing hard to just be a fifth quarter quarterback and and call the plays, you know, that other people are doing. Most of us watch sports like that, don't we? He should have done, you know, okay. But you try. And that's a little different perspective. Join. Activate. Get with it. Discover your gift. Activate your gift. Get on board with one another's. Be all that God has gifted and called you to be and make it work for the spread of the gospel internationally. Internationally do what you can do practically, personally even this very week to get the gospel to someone. I was at a missions conference in South Florida, Fort Myers Florida, Pastor Gary Seaman, Winkler Road Baptist Church great church great missions church, Pastor for years by Don Strange Pastor Don Strange and Gary Seaman made this comment and I've Kept a little note in the front of my prayer folder ever since. Gary suggested to his people, said, just pray this prayer every day. Lord, send me to someone today who needs the gospel. That might be the simplest step to take. It's just to say, Lord, show me someone today who needs the Lord, who needs you. Point me to a believer who needs a word. A little encouraging word. God's work is teamwork. Our God, we thank you today for the gospel. Thank you that you have given us the privilege to know you as our personal Lord and Savior. Thank you for those who have poured their lives into our lives to bring us to Christ and to bring us toward Christ's likeness. Thank you for this wonderful Tri-City Baptist Church and its people. And we just ask, Lord, that you would refresh and renew our commitment to understand and practice that God's work is teamwork. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.